Hello everyone and welcome back to another season of Hussy Talk. We are so excited to start our third season. We're your hosts Elise, Randy, and Brio. This week on our show we have a very experienced rookie musher. Please welcome to our show Millie Porcelled. Hi there. Hi Millie, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Um, so thanks for joining our podcast today. And just to make sure that we're pronouncing your last name right, we are wondering if it is pronounced Porcelled. Oh, okay. Okay, we're just making sure. Before we start with our interview today, we're going to test your Iditarod knowledge. We have five Iditarod trivial questions for you. Ready? Who was the first female champion of the Iditarod? I believe that was Libby Biddle. Good job. Um, next question. What is the halfway checkpoint of the northern route? Correct. <clears throat> How many minutes apart do mushrooms start? Two minutes. Good job. What was used for the first finish line in the Iditarod? Sorry, say that one. What was used for the very first finish line of the Iditarod? <clears throat> well, in the world art, um, I don't know what the spray paint on the ground? Um, close. Um, the, was it? The correct cool answer was Kool-Aid. Kool-Aid. Oh, that's way cooler. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so next question. Who has the fastest finish time? That would be... Uh, I better not get this one wrong. Right. Well, I mean, let's see. Yep. Nice job on your trivia. You got four out of five. Thank you. That's not quite good enough. <laughs> now, on to finding more about who you are. So, hey. you, so you grew up in Denmark. What brought you to the United States? Yeah, I did grow up in Denmark. Um, my, uh, my family actually has a long history in Greenland, which is a very large... Uh, island in the Arctic, and um, so my grandfather, he was born in Greenland, <clears throat> and when I grew up in, um, in Denmark, he, uh, he, he moved back to Denmark when he was in his, uh, his youth, and so uh, he became an engineer and lived a pretty normal life, but in the, in the basement of his house, um, he had all these things from his childhood from Greenland, uh, all kinds of, like, seal skins clothing, and, and I just loved being down there with him, and he would tell me all these stories about uh, life in Greenland, and more than anything about running dogs and sled dogs, and so I grew up pretty fascinated with sled dogs, and, and um, now in Denmark, we don't have a lot of snow for prolonged periods of time, and we don't have a lot of cold, it's cold, but it's not, like, freezing temperatures, um, so having sled dogs is not all that easy or normal. I grew up thinking that that's what I wanted to be when I was going to be an adult. So, um, in 15 years old, I got the opportunity. I was invited to come over and work for a guy by the name of Will Speaker, who is a big pole explorer that has done expeditions to the North and the South Pole. And, and uh, I got to come be part of his programming, working with other youth in the Northern Minnesota. And he had a kennel of 
Talk to us about what got you interested into the Iditarod specifically. Well, I think there's a couple of different answers to that. First of all, I, uh, my, uh, my partner and I, uh, my partner is, uh, was uh, your life with who um, won that Iditarod a couple of years ago. And we came here to Alaska in 2011 to do a program called uh, Reach and Goinka, which um, uh, it's about teaching and learning about the, this region and the Arctic, specifically the area of Alaska uh, in, in uh, the U.S., of course, and um, the Yukon in Canada and a place called Chukotka with Russia. And that region uh, is an ancient Arctic region called Olympia, and that's what this program was about. And we, uh, we had mushers from Chukotka in Russia, uh, two teams come over and participate in races over here and work with me and Yor. Um, and the, uh, that was a two-year program. That's kind of how we all got started. And in the second year of that program, um, Yor and, and uh, the Chukchi Marshal Michael Kelpin, they ran Iterod, and I went out on the trail, flying up the trail, uh, to cover it and do stories from the communities and, and talk about this magical place in the Iditarod Trail and the communities and life in the communities. Um, and that's what I've been doing for the last seven years and, and working with uh, with our dogs in the kennel uh, with your and um, of course uh, that experience like really uh, made me appreciate the race and the, and the, the whole experience that surrounds it and the area that it travels through and you know in, in so many different ways so I I had a, okay, I love for it from that aspect, and then I love running dogs. Um, so it's just one of those things that um, if you can get out on the trail and experience this magical place and share it with people around the world, then that's something I wouldn't want to not do. That's really cool. Thank you. What are your thoughts about finally doing the Iditarod after being such a big part of their race for so long with your? It is uh, humbling, actually. Um, I can't wait. I mean, the, really, the real answer to that is I look so much forward to it. Every day when I'm out training with the dogs, um, it's just a huge part of this for me is the, the experience of working with the dogs every day, living with the dogs. Every window I sit here in my 
my home right now, and every window I look out of, I have big, uh, really big windows facing all around me, and in every way, direction I look, I see my dogs. And um, to to work with them every day and to have this this adventure ahead of us that we're gonna go out and and experience together, that is just it's pretty magical. And to then know that I can share that magic with others and. Uh, hopefully inspire others to pursue what they want to pursue in life, whatever it may be. Um, that's, that's incredible, and I'm, I'm humbled by the opportunity to do that. So after reading your profile, it looks like you have worked quite a bit with dogs and mushing. Tell us about how you will help, how will, that will help you complete the Iditarod. I have. Um, I think, you know, my, my, most of my experience is anchored in long expeditions, which means that, you know, you're out on the trail for anywhere from two to six months. And when you're out on, on long expeditions like that, it's not necessarily, I mean, there are maybe between 1,000 and 3,000 miles long. So if you think of the Iditarod, <clears throat> it covers about 1,000 miles in, you know, 8, 10, 12 days. Um, because the dogs are running as fast as they are and around the clock. Um, and we keep very little. On expeditions, you, uh, you travel uh, where there's no trail. Where in Iditarod, there is, there's always a trail. There's markers. Sometimes it's hard to see, but there's always somebody has traveled ahead of you, whether it's no machine or it's another dog team. In expeditions, that's not the case. We just travel across the land and make our way. I mean, there's people who have been in the area, the, the native people, wherever we're traveling, but um, not at that given time. And you very much, you travel maybe 20 on a really good day, 30 or 40 miles a day, and you can day in and day out for a very long period of time. And you, when you're out there with your dogs for two, three, four, five months, you, you they are the ones that, that become your absolutely closest uh Friends, they're, they're everything to you. You rely on them with your life, um, and they're your company. And so you create this bond um, that you have with them prior, but it's very, very special when you're out there on the trail. And you really uh, get to uh, experience that if you try to understand the dogs and put yourself in their heads and see how they view things and, and view things from their perspective, then you're going to have the greatest success moving forward as a team, and you're actually going to be able to complete it. And you learn to not um, focus too much on the, the really big picture things, like when you're sitting in the middle of the Atlantic ice sheet and, and you have a big storm coming in or you're sitting in that storm, it's really important that you're not thinking about it as you're sitting in the tent. You don't, like, go outside and sit and thinking about when you're sitting in the middle of an area and you just have this little sheet of fabric separating you from the storm. But instead that you just focus on that it's actually pretty nice instead of that. You, you focus on, you know, okay, today I was trying to get these two miles of this pack ice or the goal is to get 20 miles or, like, you learn to um, very much you know, put things in perspective but, like, cut a big thing into smaller chunks and just look at it that way. And I think, basically, uh, my experience in knowing that um, 
you know, lows are always followed by the most incredible, beautiful moments in us. And uh, everything is doable when you just cut it into little pieces. And more than anything, my trust in dogs and my experience in working with dogs and working with them as a team, I think those are probably things that are going to um, have the most value to me on the trail and I did all. So, in 2011, you were in your first sled dog race in Chikaku, Russia. What was that first race like for you? Oh, it was amazing. Chikaku is a really wild. I call it the wild, wild east. It's like uh, really big nature and uh, very traditional communities and, and just amazing people. The, the mushrooms over there, they're maybe mammal hunters, um, I mean, they, they basically, their livelihood uh, is uh, hunting for seals and walrus and they live very traditionally. So the, the dogs that are primarily running in that race, they're big, uh, not, not necessarily so big, but they are the Tucci dog, which is the most ancient dog in, in this Arctic region. It's actually the dogs that, uh, have you ever heard of Falso by chance? with Will Steger in 1992. Can you tell us about that experience? Yeah, the, the first expedition I was on was in 92, 93, and actually it, it was, uh, the expedition was arranged and, and uh, I did it for Will, but it wasn't with Will. It was, a, we called it a training expedition. So basically it was a real expedition with a big explorer, which included Will. They were going to travel across Canada from the night, uh, which Northwest Territories, and then uh, across out onto the Hudson Bay and down to a, a community called Churchill, stay on trip. And they were going to start that trip in, in April. But the dogs had to get up to Yellowknife, and we were located down in uh, northern Minnesota, down by the Canadian-U.S. border. So me and three other guys, <clears throat> we had four teams of dogs, and we were 14 members, uh, 40 dogs. So we took those uh, four dog teams, one of each, uh, and traveled out. I think it was just under 2,000 miles um, from southern Canada there uh, at the very bottom of a place called Lake Winnipegosis, which is right next to Lake Winnipeg. And then we traveled north up to Yellowknife. And it was, uh, I mean, I had never in my life been winter camping before. So that was kind of wild. Because <laughs> we were, were two tents. Uh, four people, two people in each tent. That's what we call a tent unit. And um, so we're camping the whole way every night. Although when we were in the community, uh, we're always, you know, invited in to stay with people. They're so kind to us. And, of course, we would do that. But otherwise, we're tending and camping along the way and traveling. It's kind of a wild trip because um, we started so far south 
the beginning we traveled in this enormous lake, but then we started uh, having to go, you know, over highways and run next to highways and you know, forests and big rivers and dams and just all kinds of great terrain where it's almost easier to travel in the really high north because it's a little bit more simplistic than just traveling on the sea ice or tundra or like you're not dealing with traffic and snow machiners and trains and dams and whatever. So, um, it was an absolutely mind-blowing, life-changing, life-altering experience for me. I fell completely in love with it. Uh, we were traveling um, so many incredible people we met along the way, and I just absolutely fell in love with the North and fell in love with Native uh, people along the way, the, the traditions and the cultures that I got to interact with. And I also realized that my, uh, my family had a long history in this area. A lot of times along the trip, I have elders who come to me and say to me that they knew my uncle. And I was like, my uncle? Um, and I have kind of a special family name. I was like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. And finally at the end of the trip, the dots got connected and I realized that it was my great uncle, so my grandfather's brothers. They actually, they left Greenland and they came to um, Alaska and Canada and traveled all over uh, by dog team and um, canoe, looking for routes for uh, caribou and reindeer to uh, be brought in for locals to work with. And um, and so a lot of these people's families that I encounter along the way actually had, had met, interacted, and worked with my family, you know, like 100 years ago. And uh, that was a pretty incredible connection to really come to realize that I'm not totally crazy. It's kind of just in my in my family that we like to do this kind of stuff. So on all aspects, I, I can tell you, I came back from that trip, and I came back to Denmark, and um, I could not stop smiling. And I, I mean, I was 18 years old back then, and I, I kept looking at people, I'm like, you know, I, I was there just how amazing this world is and how incredible nature is out there, and I was just completely in love with life after I, I finished that trip, and I, I was totally, absolutely hooked on dog sledding. So... That sounds really amazing. What scares you, if anything, about the Iditarod? What scares me? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good question. <clears throat> I think maybe I don't really know how I'm going to react to uh, uh, the fact wish you luck in the race. Do you and you, your do your training together? No, no, we are uh, we're totally separated now. So um, we're he's training as a, a large kennel uh, of uh, of our dogs. They mostly went to him, and I have a couple of them, and then I have um, 
you get to take some dogs from other people. So you're, you're probably not training all that differently, given that, you know, our experience is the same. But um, this time around, we are training separately. Okay. The next part of our show we call Would You Rather. We are going to give you two choices, and you have to choose one, the one you rather do. Ready? Mm-hmm. Dream vacation or the Iditarod? The Iditarod. Mush with your or alone? Alone. Champion or Red Lantern? Huh? Champion or Red Lantern? Huh? That's a good question. Uh, I think I care which one of the two, really. That's not what it's about for me. Is that a good enough answer? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hot or cold weather? Cold. So the last thing, what would you? What would be your two go to song to listen on the trail? Who sings that song that you mentioned? Uh-huh. <laughs> well, it's a, it's from a Monty Python movie. Um, um. Okay. Before we finish, do you have any questions for us? Yeah. Tell me a little bit about what you're doing. Um. So we're doing a class project on, we basically chose um, people from the Iditarod and we basically are researching about them and looking for questions to do for upcoming podcasts. Okay. And how do you come up with the questions? We come up with, um, we start out with a bunch, like we just think of random questions and then we kind of, um, knock them down to like the good questions, mm-hmm. and that's basically how we do it. Huh. What do you think is most like uh, exciting or fascinating about Iditarod? Um, I think the fact that the dogs are able to run a thousand miles is pretty fascinating to me. Yeah, it is pretty incredible, isn't it? Yeah. You know how much training goes into that? A lot of training. Like, like do you know how, how many thousands of miles they've run before the race? Um, no. No? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to say, like, uh, 
pretty much anywhere, I think a pretty good number. It's probably somewhere between two and 5,000 miles coming, I mean, which is a big span. But, you know, there's a lot of different philosophies and depending on what people are trying to, to actually achieve or do or what they can do. So 2,000 2, to 5,000 miles of training before the actual race, which is kind of mind-boggling, isn't it? That's very mind-boggling. And is that... Yeah. A th- is that in a year or several months beforehand? Well, most mushers probably start training. I'm going to say the majority probably start training in September or um, before or after that. Um, but, I mean, that's kind of obvious. But uh, and some mushers, you know, train, at least keep the dogs moving year round. A few mushers start probably in July or August. Um, I'm going to say some of the more serious competitors, they, they, they get the dogs going in, in August. So what would that be? Probably about six months worth of training before the race. And then a lot of mushers, they taper it down as they come up close to the race to kind of make the dogs relax and um, put on some weight. And just kind of, you know, a lot of this is actually mental preparation. And if you're running a really competitive team, then you're, um, you're also trying to teach the dogs a lot of mental things, uh, which is why a veteran dog is a really good dog to have on your team, even if they're older, because, um, first of all, older dogs tend to not injure very easily, but they also mentally really know what they're dealing with. So something like sleep separation um, is something they know, they know how to do. So that sounds really negative, sleep separation. What I mean by that is just, Simply that you, you know, you know, to get up and, and, and have fun, even though you feel a little bit tired, which, you know how it is when you got to get up in the morning and go to school, you don't really want to, but it's okay want to get up. <laughs> that's um, that's kind of like what both the musher and the dog have to learn. So there's a lot of different aspects of why and what building and how you're positioning the dogs and yourself coming up to the race. And, uh, and even when they're, you know, you start them young, when, when they're younger, what I mean by that is you, you're always thinking about the training two, three years down the road when you're training in the very first year, you're trying to teach manners and you're kind of trying to set a baseline for that they can, their bodies are ready to train uh, the way you want them to train the following years when they're two or three years old. But a lot of stuff goes into getting them ready to run that thousand miles down the trail. And that's actually my favorite part is the, all of what goes into the prior is just, it's incredible to get to work with the dogs and see them develop and learn and, and be able to do this. It's, as you said, just absolutely, basically mind-boggling thing that they can do. They're just absolutely outstanding athletes. And so, as a musher, we have to treat them accordingly. Like we have to treat them a little bit like an NFL player, give them massages and give them the right nutrition and look at the whole thing very holistically, like looking at all aspects of what goes into being the best possible athletic performer because that's what they are. So there's a lot to it. That's but it's not that abnormal that it's the dogs that's the most fascinating about this, right? They're, they're the true superstars of all this. That's for sure. That's so how, did you get, how did you get to know about it? Did it like, is that through the school or did you guys know about it beforehand? Um... We mostly found out about it during school. Hello? We mostly found 
out about the Iditarod during school? Like, is this something you work with year-round, or do you work with it just certain parts of the year? A certain part of the year. Yeah. We will... So do, you, do you explore a lot about the places that I did not go to, or is it mostly about the race itself and the dogs and the um, people that participate in it? Um, the places and the culture and the background. Right. Well, that's really cool. How many mushers are you going to be um, in your Um, as many as we can learn about. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Do you have any mushers in your own area? Um, we have Emily Maxwell from... Right? Yeah. And, oh, that's cool. And that's it. talk to her as well. Thank you for taking time out of your day to talk to us. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Special thanks to our guest, Millie Porcel, for being on our show this week. Subscribe to us on iTunes and tune in next week. We would also like to give credit to Hobo Jim for our theme song, the Iditarod Trail song. And now, enjoy a clip from Millie's favorite song, Always Look on the Bright Side of Life. Always look on the light side of life If life seems jolly rotten There's something you've forgotten And that's to laugh and smile and dance and sing When you're feeling in the dumps Don't be silly chumps Just purse your lips and whistle That's the thing And always look on the bright side of life